Well, let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read the first three verses of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I wonder if you're at church this morning and you are happy. Happiness is a great gift. And sometimes this word blessed that we've just used is translated into English versions by the word happy. So what I have to do before we start looking then at the word is to distinguish between what is going on when we are happy and what's going on when God is happy. Human happiness is a very physiological experience. There's the neurotransmitter dopamine that's involved in that, perhaps serotonin, Uh, endorphins, all of these things make us feel happy. We feel happy, or we don't feel happy. Maybe you're feeling miserable today, and I have a word for you later on, but uh, however you're feeling today, when we read about the blessedness of God, we're thinking about the happiness that God has, but God's happiness is not a physiological feeling. It is his eternal state. There has never been a moment when God was never happy, and there will never be a time when God will lose his happiness. It is the steady state of God that he is eternally the happy one, the blessed one. In fact, Paul calls him uh, elsewhere, God who is over all, blessed forever, blessed forever. He has all happiness in himself, and he causes his happiness to spill over to us, his people. That's the story of the Bible. Uh, When God blesses Abraham, for example, and gives him victory over his enemies and gives him great wealth, or when God blessed Naomi by giving her family a next of kin that she didn't have, that she thought she'd lost forever. When God blesses, this is outside the Bible, but in one of the books that that kind of is a companion to the Bible, the book of Judith, God blessed Judith by allowing her to overthrow her enemy. God blessed those people. He did something for them. They ended up in a state that was better than it was before God blessed them. And here the apostle is declaring that God has blessed us. The blessed God blesses his people without diminishing anything of his eternal blessedness. He does it for our good and for his glory. So verse 3 then presents us with a comprehensive, if succinct, statement of God's move towards his creatures. And that is those who is set apart for himself, 
those who are faithful, that is, his believing people. This is what he has done for them. Now, he gives us a list of blessings. From verse 4, there's a whole list of individual blessings that God has given to us. And we're going to deal with those when we get to them one by one, uh, teasing out what it is for us to be predestined or adopted or have been redeemed and so on. All of those things need to be parsed out for us, and we'll see them in due course. But where do we begin? We begin as Paul begins in verse 3. We begin by blessing, that is, by praising God. We begin with praise. That's where we're to start every day of our lives. When we wake up and find ourselves still alive, we should start by praising God for that. That's where we start our week when we come to church. The first thing we do is to hear the Word of God and then to praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The liturgy is not indifferent to the flow of the Bible's big picture. We start with praise to God. When Jesus teaches us to pray, how does he begin? We're to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. So we start, if we're going to be, if we're going to be happy people, that is happy Christians, we start with God, our creator, sustainer, redeemer. It's from this God, this great God, that all our blessings flow. Now, I I begin like this because I think there may be some individual here who is actually driven, preoccupied by the various moods, states, conditions in which you find yourself. Maybe you've come to church this morning and you're in a bad mood. Something has happened. It has irritated you. It's upset you. It's disturbed you. You can't, you can't ignore it. Here we are. We've been singing songs. We've been reading the Bible. We've been praying together. And it's still there nagging you the back of your mind and making you miserable. Uh, it, it may very well be that this Word of God is for you today. Some, some of us, of course, because of our human condition, because of sickness in our body, uh, influencing those, those physiological things that I mentioned at the very beginning means that you are in a state, really, of misery or discomfort as you come to church. Well, how do we get out of that? Well, the way to be truly happy is not to chase some blessing or to try and adjust the mood in our own energy and in our own strength. I think the Bible would say, first of all, what you need to do is you need to consult the, the source, the source of your living, the source of you actually being alive. Go back to the source of all blessing. Focus for a mo- moment your thoughts upon Him and your, your confidence. Place them upon Him. Uh, we, we're to look to God for blessing. That is the things that God has done for His people. Now, we're told three things about that blessing in this verse. This is the order in which they are in the Greek original. First of all, these blessings are spiritual, spiritual, spiritual blessings, he calls them. And that immediately turns our mind to think of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
because the works of the Trinity, that is, Father, Son, and Spirit, are undivided. Whenever God acts outside of himself, he acts as God, that is, in the Trinity of his sacred persons. Uh, Thomas Goodwin, one of the Puritans, tells us that we must assume the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever we find the mention of the Father and the Son. And we must do that, as Fred Sanders puts it, because the rest of the Bible trains us to count to three when thinking of the blessings of God. You think of that great benediction that we end with, uh, which uh, ascribes from the Lord to us his his benefits, the Lord's mention, several times over. Or, Or the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Or at the end of Romans chapter 11, when for him, for him, from him, through him, to him are all things. God is the author. He always teaches us right through the Bible when we're thinking about him to think and to count up to three. When Isaiah is in the temple, what does he hear? He hears the seraphim praising God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So when we praise God, we're to count to three. The Holy Spirit then is present. So in one of the last Uh, benedictions in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 1, we read these words, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, the Father, from the seven spirits, that is the perfect Spirit of God who is before the throne, and from Jesus Christ. The seven spirits correspond to the sevenfold spirit in Isaiah and to the seven churches in the book of Revelation showing that God's Holy Spirit is present and enough for all of his churches wherever they're to be found in the world. God knows that our church needs the presence and help of the Holy Spirit in our corporate life together. So although the Holy Spirit's presence is not obvious, we are to understand that it is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. He is everywhere present. You and I have been under his influence. If you and I have come to know anything about God, if you and I recognize God to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we did not get that from our own reasoning. We got that from the Holy Spirit. If someone is baptized, as Abigail was baptized this morning as a believer, her faith and the faith of all those who were welcomed into church this morning. Her faith was the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was given to her by the Holy Spirit. It is a result of a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit, giving the gift of faith, enabling someone's will to choose salvation in Christ. That does not happen naturally. The will has to be moved, and the Spirit of God is the one who moves it. So we've all been under the influence of the Holy Spirit if we're Christians. John Stott puts it like this. Without the Spirit, Christian discipleship would be impossible. There can be no life without the Spirit, who is the life giver. No understanding without the Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. 
No fellowship without the unity of the Spirit. No Christ-likeness apart from the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And no witness without the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on that witness. Now, it was the Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible, which explains why he's not mentioned there. Because the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. He doesn't need to flag wave his presence. We find that out for ourselves. Yet he is present and central to all of God's works and ways all along. Now, back to verse 3. When God blesses us, He communicates something to us. He bestows something upon us. And that something is a good thing. It is a good. Here's what they are. Every spiritual blessing. Good when the Puritan puts it like this. He cannot bless less, for he is God. And he has everything there is to bestow upon us. He gives us Himself, God's own self-sufficiency in Himself, God's power in His works to effect all things. It's because God gives Himself to the believer that the believer can discover, as Paul discovered, I have all sufficiency in all things. I'm able for anything. We, we can't be able for anything in our own energy, in our own, in our own selves, in our own selves. We just buckle under the pressure. We, we cave under the, under the assaults. We, we throw up our hands in horror. The things in this world are things, there are things even in the churches that, that appall us, that, that harm us, that throw us off. Where am I to find my all sufficiency? Not in other people, but only in God. In God there is a Niagara Falls torrent of blessing and blessedness which God gives to the believer. And they're directed towards us. Yes, you and I. You and I who by nature are what? Without hope and without God in the world given to us, who of ourselves, as chapter 2 says, are by nature children of wrath. Given to us, who, as Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 2, are cursed children. It is we who are blessed. Because, as we shall see, we are loved with an eternal love. And that love is freely directed towards us and has been from all eternity. And that love is directed not just to one kind type of person here, but to Jews and Gentiles, to every, everybody, wherever they come from in the world or in the planet. As Paul said in Galatians 3, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham has come upon the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Every believer receives the entire blessing of God. 
For all the blessings of God hang together like a cluster, a cluster of grapes. The whole cluster is given to us. And these blessings come from God through Christ via the Spirit. And with the spiritual blessings comes the Holy Spirit himself. Later on in verse 15, 13 to 15, he is the seal and the guarantor of our heavenly inheritance. He is the one through whom we begin to comprehend the glorious hope that is set before us. It's through the Spirit that God raised Jesus from the dead. It's through the Spirit that you and I will be raised from the dead and these mortal bodies will be transformed into a body like Jesus' resurrection body. It's through the Holy Spirit we come to think Christianly about things. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The natural man, the unspiritual man, person, does not receive the gift of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. And they're not able to understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Spiritual discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit to the believer. Currently, these spiritual blessings are available to us because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Our bodies, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You as an individual, believer, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we sin against our own body by abusing it, or if we sin against someone else by abusing their body, we quench the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the church of Jesus Christ, the body is the body of Christ on earth. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we sin against the church, when we badmouth the church, when we uh, accuse the church of this or that, failure or whatever, what are we doing? Well, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Don't misunderstand me. Sometimes the church has to be rebuked. Sometimes the church has to be called to repentance. I'm talking not about those things. So the blessings then are spiritual blessings. Secondly, the blessings are given in the heavenly places. In the Old Testament, the blessings tend to be material, temporal, Abraham got lots of cattle and lots of wealth as well as a family and all the rest of it. But in the New Testament, blessings are spiritual, therefore superior. This word heavenly is very important because the word heavenly is always associated with God, isn't it? Where is God? God's in heaven. Heaven stands in contrast to the things of earth. Earthly things are perishable things. Heavenly things are permanent things. The heavenly represents another dimension of reality. So we often think of heaven being up there. No, heaven is more out there than up there. But it helps our, we're spatial creatures. It helps us to think of it being, being up there. That's fine. It, you're not going to be written off because you think that way. But it's a different dimension. 
You know, when Jesus, when Jesus is resurrected, and in his resurrection body, you remember, he appears to the disciples in the upper room. We're told the doors were locked. He did not walk through walls. Why? Because he has a real body. It's a resurrection body, but it's a real body. He says to his disciples, feel me. Put your finger into my wounds. Put your hand into my side. He didn't walk through walls. He went from one dimension into our dimension. The angels of God are all around us. They join us for worship because they're really keen to know what's going on in this sermon. Peter tells us that, by the way. It's not my, it's not my theory. Peter tells us that. They long to look into the Word of God. We're teaching the, the angels what we know about the work of God for our salvation. And they join us here. As, as we do, when we gather for worship, we also gather with Paul and the apostles, the people who are dead, who are alive to God. They're cheering us on as we pursue our pilgrimage here. So in the Old Testament then, there are even signs of this heavenly dimension. Ezekiel 20, on that day I will swear to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. The New Testament tells us that this most glorious land was never the land of Israel. Instead, even the faithful, going right back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the fathers of Israel, even they recognized that the land of Israel was not the land that was promised. We're told about them that they desire a better country that is a heavenly one in Hebrews 11. And it goes on to say, God therefore was not ashamed to be called their God because he had prepared for them a city. That city is New Jerusalem. It's above, things above. Paul writing to the Galatians tells them, Jerusalem above is our mother, our motherland. Christ has gone there to prepare a place for you. And in that place, there will be perfect knowledge and perfect understanding. As Paul tells us at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, now we see through a mirror, mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know and understand fully, even as we are fully understood. In heaven, we will have the face to face beatific vision, the vision of God, right? The, the essence of God which would destroy us now, but in glory will not. So the Christian faith then is not a political platform, nor a social action plan. Christians, of course, are active and should be, if that's their calling in politics and social work. And all of us have the right and the duty to vote in the country to which we belong. But, distinguish that, your role as a citizen of this country and your position as a member of the church of God. The church, qua church, the church as the church, is by definition 
otherworldly. What is the apostasy of churches today? The apostasy of churches today is that there are many churches who are preoccupied with the things of this present passing age, the fads, the movements, the social mores of our culture. They want to be like and liked by the people of the culture. But the the salvation that we're given, the blessings that God gives to us are in the heavenly realms. Paul talks about our citizenship is in heaven. Right here, we're residents on earth, but we're citizens in heaven. We have the United States flag here. People sometimes ask me about the flag. Are you happy with the flag? People in the UK don't like it. They've got Union Jacks in their church, but they don't like us having the American flag in our church. But bit inconsistent there. And I answer them this. This is not telling us what our ultimate allegiance lies. This is telling us where we live, where we're citizens, where we're happy to support and encourage everything that is good in our dear country. But the church is like a foreign embassy in a strange land. And if you go to an embassy, if you go to any foreign embassy, you will see them. They have the flag of the country where they're placed. We have the flag of the country in which we're placed, but our loyalty is to heaven. Primarily. Well, the Apostle Peter saw this matter in the same way as the Apostle Paul. Dearly beloved, he says in First Peter chapter 2, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from worldly lusts, fleshly lusts. Although the world is God's world, it is nonetheless fallen and in a state of rebellion against God. The world is, by its values, no friend to God. We're told explicitly by Paul not to conform to the world, to its outlook, its mindset, its mentality. We're to view the world differently from our neighbors. This is our Father's world. When the Apostle Paul was finding life in this world to be a great burden or a fight or full of trouble, he felt weary. He weary, and some of us identify with the weariness of the Apostle today. He wrote to his friends, Our light afflictions, which is for but a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now this means, as he goes on to say, that if when this earthly house, this tent we live in, meaning the body, when this tent is destroyed, we have a building, something solid, a building of God, a house not made with hands that is eternal, in the heavens. 
So the Holy Spirit then reminds us of the heavenly places. He reminds us of what awaits us, which is that which is incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. So God's blessings are spiritual. They're given to us in the heavenly realms, and they are given to us in Christ. Without Christ, there would be no blessing. But God delivers us to us here these out-of-this-world benefits and blessings in Christ. Let me put it like this. Christ is the agent of salvation. He accomplished it by his death and resurrection. But Christ is also the locus of salvation. That is, we are incorporated into him. When he died, we died in him. When he was raised, we were raised in him. Everything that he did, we did with him. When he was obedient, uh, we were identified with him. We were, and his, his obedience was credited to us in everything he did. Now that he's exalted and transfigured in heaven, Paul can say to us that we are, we are already in the heavenly realms. There's a part of us that's already with Christ in the heavenly realms. We participate with Christ in his life. He is the locus of salvation. He is the instrument of salvation because he is the one who raises us up. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So this morning, God has blessed us with spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You must ask yourself, Do I know anything of this? You may not understand all the theological back and forth, but you get the big picture. Everything we have, everything on which all our hopes, all our hopes depend, are in Christ, secure in the heavenly realms. That means nothing can take them away from us. No power on earth can rob us of them. These are massive spiritual blessings chosen before the foundation of the world, adopted into the family of God, with your name written in heaven and with an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. These are your things. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you today, we thank you that you've given us your great blessing. We pray, Lord, that you would Help us to grasp hold of that today. Just to grasp hold of your hand, as it were, and to trust you. Lord, draw near to us now, we pray, as we come to an end of this service. We need you to go with us and be with us. In Jesus' name.